Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast, and boy, it is finally here. I am so excited to finally talk about this. Man, the day has finally come. We can discuss the episode we have all been waiting for. Again, Paramount Plus, PP Plus has dropped this episode super early, like literally days after episode six, Lost in Translation, came out, and it kind of sent all of Trek podcasts and content content creators into a frenzy we were like oh yes we had like double the work and like no amount of time and i feel like every new trek episode that the fan base is waiting to drop this this has been the one all season since it was announced and i mean in picard we're waiting for the episode where the you know the team finally got together and they assembled again and and for strange new world this season it was you know this lower decks crossover so we we're bringing the cartoons into real life and and we're bridging the Enterprise, the 1701, no dash. And I'll have to say, just to be to be up front now, probably my favorite episode. One of my favorite episodes of Strange New Worlds, hands down. I mean, simply because we're not only seeing this beautiful blend of comedy that Lower Decks um, practices meets the fun an interesting, serious tone of Strange New Worlds. Not simply that. Not saying, you know, either series can't be one or the other. It's just nice to see them blend so well together. And we get these uh, two, I guess, is that right, Luna? Luna, my intern, everybody. We get two first ever in Trek canon and history episodes this year. So the now episode seven's the... Uh, cartoon crossover can't believe i'm saying that about star trek and then episode nine is this musical episode that's coming in and i don't know how i feel about that the whole time i'm like can these people actually sing um the jury sell out for me if it's good it's good um so we'll see but i don't know and it to me when they said it was a musical episode it was like are we finally going to get you know the original tos song in, in Strange New Worlds with a oh, 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 oh. Luna, have fun editing that. Um, goodness, I hope we don't get that um, in the musical episodes, but you never know. And I, for one, am really curious what the fellow fans have to say about this crossover. I mean, I know I enjoyed it, but I have a feeling there's going to be some party pooper who's going to drop, you know, well, the temporal division of Starfleet wouldn't let this happen. We saw that in tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And then what about the temporal cold war? What about that? No one's bringing that to account. And so that's kind of like when you go to a party, everyone's having a good time. And then someone's like, you know what? Let's talk about Nickelback or let's talk about this really weird medieval thing that no one cares. Like, it's like, don't be a party pooper. This is great. I loved it. If you didn't like it, that's okay. But this episode is exactly what I hoped it would be. It's a fun 
hour of television and nothing more. If you haven't watched Lower Decks, then it might have kind of been kind of a little taken off, like didn't really know what it was. But I mean, I mean, they mentioned the Bell Riots. <laughs> they name dropped the Bell Riots indiscreetly, but it's one of those things like if you know, you know. And so I, I was just tickled pink that they did that. But before we get into this episode, another another reminder, everybody. And I said last week, we're not going to remind everybody, but I'm doing it again anyway, is that we need to support our writers and actors on strike right now. And hopefully they can win the day against these terrible streamers. The stream is weak. Go to the doctor. Just kidding. (laughs) Now, normally I don't get political, but I don't think this is a political issue, honestly. Okay, that's my soapbox. That's all I'm saying. Without further ado, let's review these old scientists, Luna. Let's drop this beat. So I may sound like a broken record here, but Strange New Worlds has proven its versatility and its potential. It's just all season. It's defied expectations all season. I mean, we don't know if we're getting a rom-com a freaking, you know, TOS thing with aliens, communications, and then now we're getting a comedy cartoon crossover. So when this surprising announcement came out, I was kind of shocked. Like, I bet a bunch of you kind of scoffed at the idea, considering the stark differences between the two shows. Like, I mean, after all, Lower Decks is an animated series set 120 years ahead of the events depicted in Strange New Worlds, where we have, you know, legendary names like Christopher Pike, and then Unichin Riley, and Noyota Yohura, and Mr. Spock, and we they've etched their names in the Starfleet history, and then on top of that, the tone and the contents of the shows diverge significantly. So not only is it a timeline issue, it's the tone of the show that's an issue. It's kind of making it almost impossible and challenging to fathom how you're going to have characters like Brad Boimler and Beckett Mariner, you know, inhabit the world of this super serious, illustrious USS Enterprise 1701. Yet, remarkably, somehow, (laughs) it managed to shatter preconceptions, demonstrating its ability to embrace the unexpected and weave this kind of narrative into a cohesive, captivating tapestry. It's kind of like the drunk guy painting a masterpiece. I don't have high expectations, but I'm pleasantly surprised. I mean, we eagerly awaited this groundbreaking episode. I mean, the potential for dynamic character interactions and unseen plot twists, you know, just made everyone really excited to kind of see these boundaries of time and genre kind of broken. And again, like I've said multiple times this season, Strange New Worlds has proven time and again that its creative vision knows no bounds. I mean, we're getting a freaking musical number in episode nine, which I don't know how I feel about that, but we'll see. It's just, it's just again, you never know what you're going to get every week. It's, it's so different. Um, as I'm making this episode eight already has come out and that's like a, a freaking war 
like crime, like war crime and war criminal episode, and it's very intense, no comedy at all. So to have that backed up against, you know, this lower decks crossover is just crazy. So it just shows and proves, you know, that this is um, really unique Star Trek that we're seeing for the first time ever. Um, my hesitations about the creators of the show have been proven unfounded. This episode, these old scientists, or those old scientists, I'm sorry, thank you for correcting me, Luna, it has emerged as a standout gem. Um, it's boastedly like a brilliant and entertaining and even this comical time travel odyssey that kind of just exudes this old school charm. So I'm, I've really enjoyed it. And it, at first glance, the episode concept might appear too improbable to succeed, yet it, it somehow defies, like always, the odds triumphantly you know delivering and captivating a narrative that hinges on this heartfelt and optimistic connections you know uniting these threads of the star trek franchise and universe and plus this masterful execution of this just blending the best elements of both worlds intertwining the spirit of the original series with a contemporary flair of the present you couldn't have gone wrong could not have gone better the result is this this delightful blend of nostalgia and modernity that just leaves viewers thoroughly entertained and eager for more. And I, I don't think we'll ever get another uh, Lower Decks crossover because I think this, well, you never know because I, I this bold venture to me, this adventure into the unknown, kind of exemplifies the show's audacious vision and unwavering commitment to keep pushing the boundaries of storytelling and, and pushing the boundaries of what Star Trek can handle. Um, to me, they are the keeper of the keys when it comes to the Star Trek legacy, you know, steering this um, famous crew into the uncharted territories that we get every week. So I am uh, pleasantly surprised, like I mentioned before. And, you know, we couldn't have gone wrong because we have this... Uh, all under control by the masterful direction of Jonathan Frakes. This hour-long spectacle effortlessly evokes this heartfelt love letter to the expansive Trek universe that Frakes um, has been now known to produce. He did brilliantly directing in Picard season three on a few episodes, and then now we see it again. And you know this insightful commentary on the evolution of technology and. I mean, even paying homage to iconic gadgets like the Com Badge and the Tricorders, you know, it was written and directed by a fan, and you could tell that. And then, moreover, there's just, you know, multiple generations of Starfleet crew members engaging in endearing moments of awe and reverence for their predecessors, you know, so it kind of made everyone feel like no matter where you are in time, you always have your heroes and you always have people you look up to. And, you know, with Pike, it was this delightful nod to Jonathan Archer. Um, and then, you, of course, was with Mariner and them, it was, you know, the actual OG crew of the Enterprise. So it was really cool to kind of see Frakes and the writers set that up in a way that it wasn't, you know, just overtly one-sided, that, no, we all have our heroes and we all have people we look up to and that it'd be impossible to meet them one day and how that would actually be for ourselves. And, the episode's title, though, itself serves as an in-universe explanation for the origin of the original series' name, while also 
playfully referencing a memorable episode from Lower Deck's debut season, adding another delightful layer of depth to the narrative. A noteworthy cherry on top of all of this already beautiful confection is this breathtaking animated opening credits, which I was really surprised to see. And that, to me, just further embellished, again, the visuals knocking out of the park, this grandiose grandeur that we've become used to with the Enterprise 1701. And I know I keep saying it. Luna was talking in my ear. She's like, why do you keep saying it? Because like, there is no dash. No dash on it. It's the original. I mean, the visuals draw us into the story and kind of set the stage. And again, even on the flip side, the animation showcases, you know, remarkable attention to detail, capturing the essence of each character and just evoking that nostalgic and wonder, you know, that with seeing the both old time fans and new viewers can enjoy. So all these elements geniusly converge to create this extraordinary tapestry that honors the rich history of Star Trek and also, you know, kind of mentioned before, the modern flair. So it leaves us with this sense of appreciation, you know, cherishing the legacy altogether while kind of being in new areas of Trek. And um, I would definitely say we are in new areas of Trek. The season two is unlike anything I've seen before. So just for a recap, if you didn't really watch, you were just kind of too excited to remember. <laughs> so this uh, hour commences with an animated reminiscent of Lower Decks as the USS Cerritos embarks on this routine inspection of a dormant portal, which was originally discovered by Pike centuries ago. But in a twist of fate, they inadvertently activate the portal and uh, propel Boimler back into the past with Spock, Leanne, and Number One are investigating the very same artifact. And strikingly, Boimler transforms into his live-action character, portrayed by the talented Jack Quaid, which I didn't know is son of um, Randy Quaid. So yeah, isn't that crazy? Weird. So this uh, convergence of these timelines becomes an intriguing premise, further intensified again when it's like adding gasoline when you get live-action Mariner, who's portrayed by the dynamic Tawny Newsom, steps through the portal and plunges everybody into even more perplexing issues and challenges. But... Pike and his crew display an odd familiarity with the concept of people being sent back or encountering alternate timelines and seemed a little bit less surprised than one might expect as um, they endeavor to find a way to return them to their own timeline. The situation grows um, increasingly complicated. So the Enterprise predicament escalates with the introduction of the Lie series' first versions of Mariner and Boimler each hailing from different points in time. This merging of animated and live action realities kind of just showcase the show's innovative approach to storytelling. And it just, to me, the episode navigates between the animated and live action realms beautifully. And so made it a very unique one-time experience. And I feel like this bold experimentation adds an extra layer of excitement and curiosity to the show, but, and seeing what's possible. So the portal's originally taken by Orion scientists and Pike gets it back and smooth talks them their way and kind of reiterates what um, Tawny said back on um, Cerritos about, you know, the Orion scientists were the first to discover this, not Pike. And so it's just a fun, fun episode. I, I didn't go into too much, but just a simple recap. But I will say kind of moving on to, to Quaid and Newsome. So 
I, I feel like Jack Quaid does a remarkable voice work as Boimler on Lower Decks, and he's mainly known now for his work on The Boys as Huey. But, um, man, that show just got real crazy in the last season. I kind of turned it off. I was like, this is a little too much for me and my uh, sensibility. But uh, I feel like Jack Quaid is often gone, just underappreciated. But his performance is, you know, this live-action counterpart is nothing short of captivating. I mean, he just has this fanboy enthusiasm just bursting at the seams and Quaid's portrayal is utterly charming as he's just joyfully immersing himself in the history he previous only, previously only encountered in books. So now meeting the very Starfleet heroes he idolized for so long and on the other side of the coin, Tawny Newsome is equally impressive, just effortlessly embodies the fast-talking, you know, wrecking ball energy of Mariner, whether in cartoon form or live-action version. It's just her, and plus like her interactions with young Spock and the sage advice she offers over cocktails just just added a layer of just giddiness and delight to an already fun episode. And if you haven't, she's actually a great podcaster too. She does a, um, a Star Trek podcast with Paul Tompkins and she's kind of just the same energy brought to that podcast. So check it out. I think it's called The Pod Directive. Yeah, Luna, we can plug other Star Trek podcasts. I don't think we're going to be competing with with them but um yeah i feel like moving back to the show and back to those old scientists that the significance of lower decker's presence extends beyond just more comedic moments there are plenty of those you know as they navigate the complexities of the issue that they're in but carefully treading not to avoid altering the future irreversibly because they're Inclusion serves as a profound purpose, offering a much-needed reminder to the Enterprise crew of the value and impact of their actions. Although their uh, experiences, interactions, you know, the Lower Deckers kind of rekindled their sense of purpose and reinforced the profound importance of their mission and have a positive influence on the crew and on the old universes as a whole. Again, this episode masterfully blends humor and these mixed with these meaningful character moments and yeah the live action elements to it just create just this multi-dimensional narrative that we really haven't had before and on top of Quaid and Newsom's exceptional performances that elevate the storytelling um it just it just didn't to me when I first saw it it, it seemed like a gimmick you know it's a fun crossover gimmick that maybe we've seen like with like the Simpsons and Family Guy or Futurama and the Simpsons and it's just kind of like a terrible episode, but it's like fun because it's like, oh, they're in each other's worlds. And this wasn't it. You know, we, we did have some fun in that that regard, you know, that um, seeing the two blend. But it, it we're so much deeper than that. And that is not something to, and I feel like a broken record here, that is not something to shake a stick at. That is very difficult to do. And so I, I have to give hats off to them as well. Um, to the writers and showrunners, because that is, um, yeah, that's a very difficult thing to do. But moving on, yeah, the really funny part was seeing how they interacted with the future. So, for example, like, Boimler's talking about Pike's birthday, holds a special place as an official holiday, and, you know, celebrates the the spirit of the leader, and then even the iconic phrase, ad aspera per aspera, 
you know, is now on recruitment posters with Yuna and symbolizing, you know, the inspiration that she did. And then, you know, of course, Spock's legacy is intertwined with, with them and seeing him and how he's kind of like, oh, this is weird now because Spock has emotions. And in our time, he never has emotions. He's just, you know, straight lace Vulcan. And so um, this profound knowledge of their lasting impact may seem a threat to the reality into the timeline but in actual it's a gift and it's a and that's how they leave the episode that it's a powerful reminder to you know to keep pressing forward and tirelessly striving to shape the future you know that boimler and marin are now in habit so it kind of energizes the crew because it's like yeah we're supposed to be doing these great things let's keep let's keep going like i know it's hard right now and it's difficult we just blew up a gas station but, and if you haven't seen last week's episode, that will make no sense to you. But it, it's kind of, a again, more depth, more than just a gimmick. And that's very insightful. And then there's another component to this episode that's very interesting. So as the episode unfolds, it also grapples with more immediate concerns, setting the stage for compelling storylines in the rest of season two and possibly season three and season four of Strange New World. So while the season has not delved deeply into the specter of Pike's dark destiny, you know, his really negative future, the notion surfaces again as Boimler prompts him to contemplate the possibility that his future may not be as foreboding as he once believed. So this, it's almost this tantalizing idea that it's leaving me and I'm sure the rest of the Star Trek audience eagerly anticipating the ramifications of, you know, the revelation of the beep beep chair. Could there be no terrible accident? Could there be nothing like we've seen? Is this, I don't know, but it's a stark reminder and a kind of to Pike you know that he still has to live day in day out even if the even when the show doesn't explicitly mention it or when he sees himself as though he's not haunted by the knowledge he carries about his how his demise and his end will be but thanks to boimler's inter- intervention and interactions we see you know pike allow his crew to throw him a birthday party it's a you know, it's a happy, weird moment, but it's perhaps the fact that he does know exactly how much time he has left will push him to put as much as he can into the relationships he has now, rather than worrying about things in days past or yet to come. So, again, adding another depth, another introspection into the characters that we would have gotten even on a normal episode, but now it's like on a gimmicky cartoon episode and it's still pretty impactful stuff. So last but not least, we have to mention one person, and that is Spock. So there's a similar subplot going on with Spock, although it's not as tied up nearly so neatly like uh, Pike is, but both Boimler and Mariner are taken aback by how human Spock seems when they arrive. And he's laughing at jokes, he's smiling, he's being flirty with uh, Nurse Chapel, and for them, it's extremely dis- like distressing, and it should be, you know, because they all the critical things that Spock will go on to do and be, and the version of him that does those st- things is extremely Vulcan. So that 
version of Spock in the future has chosen to suppress most of the sorts of emotions that young Spock is clearly displaying. Boimler confronts Chapel about how weird Spock is behaving. He awkwardly realizes she's the person that's been influencing him to indulge his human side more openly. And I think Jess Bush is doing a great job as Chapel, but her brief scenes this week are some of her best yet, in my opinion, particularly her absolutely gutted expression when she realizes what we already know, that she and Spock have no future, well, not really, and that no matter how she may want to believe otherwise, that it's in the stars, it's not happening. And who knows, maybe, I mean, is Boimler inadvertently planted the seeds of their breakup before the relationship is even off the ground? Is that how the timeline just works out that way? I don't know, but we will definitely see their breakup at some point in the show, just like probably Pike's beep beep chair, or maybe not. Maybe the writers will somehow work their way around that. Tough to tell. But that has been this week's episode of Those Old Scientists. So Luna, let's light this candle. Thank you all so much for listening. And boy, I'm so glad that this episode turned out to be done so well and written so well. And it just wasn't, you know, like I mentioned before, the the Futurama, Family Guy, Simpsons crossover gimmick kind of garbage. This was, it wasn't McDonald's. It was actually great, like teriyaki chicken. It just wasn't garbage for garbage sake. It was really good. So I was very happy that they put so much love and effort into it. But also, you know, we still had some <laughs> kind of fun moments. Again, they made, they freaking mentioned the Bell Riots, which made me go nuts. Maybe we should cover the Bell Riots. Maybe, Luna. Maybe in the future we might. Again, you guys can reach us all the time on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on, I guess, is it X now? It's not Twitter. It's X, whatever. Mainly on the Instagram, so please feel Feel free to reach out to us and talk to us. We love hearing from you guys. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Helps the podcast out. And remember, gosh, it's already August. I can't believe it. But the good news is, is that, you know, fall's coming around. We finally get pumpkin back. I know Loon is excited. Second start of the right. Straight on till morning.